Hey everyone, welcome to the latest podcast episode. I'm the host, Adam Miller, USG agronomist and director of the education program. Got an awesome short episode uh, today coming off of the heels of the US Open at the Country Club. We chatted with Mike Wan to really get an overview from his perspective on the success of the US Open, his vision for US Opens moving forward, uh, and obviously touched base with him around the EJ Marshall platter that was awarded to Dave Johnson, director of grounds at the Country Club. Here's the conversation with Mike. Mike, first and foremost, we're coming off what I would say is, you know, one of the most memorable U.S. Opens, uh, certainly in my time at the USGA at the Country Club. Can you give us some thoughts and reactions about your first U.S. Open as CEO of the USGA? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I knew how big uh, they were, but uh, now knowing it from the other side, from the inside, it's amazing how many businesses are actually happening at the same time. Merchandise is its own business um, and what has to happen every day and replenishment and uh, you know, the concert that happens, that's just merchandise. Course setup is so completely different than course operations, which is so completely different than hospitality. So we've got, uh, you know, 40 or so different teams running their own business that week. Um, so my job was to, one, you know, be a motivator, keep everybody kind of moving forward, and two, make sure all those businesses sort of acted in concert. What's going on in the media tent isn't really related to what's going on in merchandise, but we have to make sure both of those uh, both of those things are working together and decide when we need priorities whether it's security, air conditioning, food, you know, how do we actually manage that? So it's, um, it was an incredible uh, team effort, incredible concert. It just felt like everybody was playing their own instrument and together there was some pretty cool music. And so as a, as a proud um, head coach, I guess, it was really just great to see, like most coaches, when you're winning, you're really not doing much. You know, all your work is done before you get there. And it was really exciting for me to just watch my team have this. And um, I, I needed to mostly stay out of the way uh, but it was, um, it's, uh, so I think it was awesome for the fans to watch it on TV or to be there. It's all, I'm sure, a great experience. But for those of us behind the scenes, we saw these 40 different businesses having the biggest week of their year all at the same time. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, there's so much energy around the U.S. Open, uh, whether you're going or working it. So I've always felt that too. You just, you, you get that excitement and towards the tail end of the week, it's a little bit of adrenaline because you're, you know, you're not working on, uh, uh, enough sleep there, but, um, super fun. So, Thinking about the golf course specifically, what do you think makes for really a good U.S. Open test? Well, in the case of the Country Club, it was a um, it was a great throwback in history, not just uh, for the USGA and obviously the Country Club's connection is one of our founding five partners, but I think it's really a good throwback to American golf. You know, there's there's some there's there's tastes of Scotland in that golf course. You know, where your caddy looks at you and says, "See, see that red bush just hit there." Trust me. So there's a few of these kind of blind shots that sort of take you back to an earlier time. It's um, it's not an overwhelming golf course. You don't walk out there and we tell you we're going to play at 7,800. Um, you know, you're not having a 300-yard par three. There, um, it's you know a 99-yard par three in the last day at as much attention as a 500-yard par four. Um, so it's to me, it's this, it's this incredible you know memory. Then you go back at the Francis we met and the launch of American Golf. And I was commissioner of the LPGA for 12 seasons, and in all those seasons, we always found ourselves talking about the Sayri Pak moment, the moment when Korea 
and women's golf became powerful. And I think most Americans, you know, aren't old enough to remember that there was a say repock moment for America. It was Francis we met. It was at the at the country club, um, and it was the time when America got turned on to this great game and never looked back. So, um, to me, it was I was proud to take the American fan and really the global fan back to the roots of American golf. It was a great example that courses don't have to play 7600 to still get in your head, uh, to still get in your hands, and to still be nervous every over every shot. I think the best part of to me on a golf on a golf course that hosts the U.S. U.S. Open is we we want every club in your bag to be dirty at the every at the end of a round, and I always say including the one between your ears. So I want you to think your way through. I want you to play your way through. And if you're hitting driver seven iron or driver nine iron on every on every hole, it's not U.S. Open worthy. Yeah, I really like that mentality of getting every club dirty. And and to your point on the the short par three, the drop shot par three eleventh, that was so cool to watch and the the green expansions that have been taking place over the years to just get in between people's heads and you know there's a reason why we're we're not playing in that event and and the best players in the world are you know it's funny the uh, the setup guys i went out with the setup guys i think it was tuesday and wednesday and they said on sunday we're going to play this about 100 yards and i said well what's so scary about 100 yards for a guy like me that's a full 54 degree like i feel great about 100 yards and they're like yeah i know that is for you but for these guys they don't have a club that's a hundred. It's a, it's a cutback on something. It's a knockdown something. And so think about what uh, 62 yards feels like to you, Mike. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I don't really like 62 yards. Like, well, that's what we're going to give them. So it was, it's fun to see, you know, for a hundred yard downhill shot with a lot of wind, tiny green, super undulation thinking I've got to make a two here. And there was obviously fours and fives on that hole. So speaking of setup, and, and this is something that we hear an awful lot, especially during U.S. Open Week and even the lead up to it, people are always sort of trying to guess what the winning score will be. And I guess, is that something that you think about? And can we set the record straight on if there is a target range in mind for a winning score? Yeah, we can definitely set the record straight that we don't sit down and say we want plus one or minus four to win. I mean, anybody who's ever done course setup knows that if you start with that in mind, you might as well just accept failure before you get started because you don't know what's going to happen to conditions. Occasionally, somebody just goes unconscious, lights out. It's Tiger at Pebble. It's it's Rory at Congressional. I mean, sometimes somebody are just just lap the field. So don't uh, you know? Don't set yourself up for that kind of uh, pain from the beginning. So what we what we say is we just want to make sure to U.S. Open par is a really good score. So in other words, when you're standing on the tee of a par four, you want to be able to say to yourself, if I can get out of here with a four, I'm going to feel pretty good. Um, that doesn't mean we're trying to make the average, you know, par four, you know, rate 4.4 for the week. Uh, we just want to make sure that par is a tough and good a good score on every hole. I've said this many times, and, and certainly my setup crew have heard me say it. Once we have a plan, once we put that plan in place, we won't change during the week unless conditions really change. Rain, wind, whatever. So what I mean by that is I've, I've said this many times. I'm pretty sure at the Super Bowl they've never gotten together at halftime, the NFL, and said, gee, it's 31 to 28. That's too much scoring. Let's water down the field a little bit for the second half and see if we can slow down the scoring. Um, they wouldn't do that because once you give the field to the athletes, it's theirs to do whatever they're going to do. I feel the same way. Once the USGA gives the course to the athletes, it's theirs. And we don't want to insert ourselves into the competition. That's where you get yourself in trouble. And I know fans like to go, I can't believe somebody's at 600 US Open. Get over it. As long as we feel like we're pushing these guys um, or these women to really uh, play the best golf of their life to win, then, um, then the rest sort of takes care of itself. And choosing a score is, um, becomes a, you're chasing your tail at that point. 
you know, obviously the really cool story with Matthew Fitzpatrick winning both the amateur there in 13 and now the Open and all the other big names that were up at the leaderboard on Sunday. We had, you know, a really awesome moment at the conclusion of the championship. Um, and people have felt, and this is something that I hear all the time in sort of the golf course maintenance world, people have felt for a long time maintenance teams really don't get enough recognition in their role, uh, especially when it comes to tournament golf or championship golf. So uh, Dave Johnson at the end of the uh, the U.S. Open receiving the E.J. Marshall platter, um, you know, while, you know, right up there with Matthew Fitzpatrick receiving the U.S. Open trophy was so cool on NBC, nationally televised. That was such a big moment. Can you give everyone some background on how this new award came about and, you know, your thoughts behind it? Yeah, I mean, it probably doesn't shock anybody, but when I got here, I was given the script I'm supposed to say on the 18th green of all these championships. And it's the same script they've probably given to, uh, you know, the other Mike Wands, the other seven Mike Wands for the last 127 years. And, you know, you guys know me well enough to know I don't, I don't do well with a script. So, I mean, I finally said, hey, you can save some paper, stop printing this. Tell me who you want me to thank and I'll take it from there. Um, and so I remembered like kind of reading this first script and, you know, you thank the volunteers, you thank the community, you thank the members of the club, and then you thank the grounds crew. And I remember thinking um, as a former grounds crew guy, and don't get me wrong, never a guy that's prepared a U.S. Open. But I mean, I used to hate member members and member guests as a grounds crew kid because the members got so anxious about putting on our best show. So we all worked twice as many hours those weeks. Um, when I was at that Latin American championship, we had like a party on the last day with the ground crew. And I remember just looking around thinking how tired all these people were, but how proud they were. Nobody was going home. They were actually going out watching golf. I mean, when I was a kid, I couldn't get home to go to sleep fast enough. And it hit me right there standing there, which is just saying thank you, you know, the same way we thank volunteers and the, and the, uh, and the member community. It just seemed uh, to fall short to me. And, it's, you know, if we can recognize the best amateur, if we can recognize who wins this event, um, I can't understand why we wouldn't recognize in a more USGA-like way the person who gave us the stage. And I'll be honest with you, um, I don't plan to give that award every year. I plan to give that award when I think the, um, the partnership and the service um, was gold standard. The one that I want every other greenskeeper to say, well, what did they do at the country club that was so specific? This is not going to be a medal that I just give out every year because we always do. Um, this is going to be for the for the folks that went over and above that partnered with us. Sometimes, you know, we'll go to some clubs and they really don't want our input. So we find ourselves for two weeks in an argument over, you know, things like hole locations and, you know, and rough height. Th that's not, you know, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the person that actually wants to learn with us and grow with us that week. And Dave was a great example. I said to my team, uh, how do you feel here? And I said, if we were going to write a book about how to work together with USGA and for them to learn and us to learn, um, he'd be chapter one. So I said, well, if he's chapter one, let's make him chapter one of the Marshall Platter. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's the right thing to do. We should have been doing it for a hundred years, but as my father used to say, never too late to start doing the right thing. So I thought, you know, 2022 seemed like the right year to start a new tradition. Wrapping up on, on this one last question, and maybe it's putting you in a tough spot here, but I feel confident enough to, to do that. So people seem to absolutely love Brookline as a championship venue. You know, do you think more USGA championships will be headed to the country club in the not-too-distant future, specifically a U.S. Open? Well, more championships for sure. Uh, whether or not it's a U.S. Open, probably some work to do with, with them and us in an aftermath. I mean, it's easy for us to love a U.S. Open, but I think the club has to go, you know, the club was, you know, in you know euphoria on a Sunday night. But they have to go through and check with the town and the city and um, their members and make sure that, you know, and, you know, decide, 
you know, how quickly it's been, you know, it was a long time since the last time we were there. It could be a long time the next time, but uh, I think, you know, it'd be crazy for any of us to say it wasn't a home run. It was. Um, I know that the members of the country club enjoyed it as much as we did. I, I hope the city of Brookline did. I mean, we're a tough, you know, we're a tough neighbor because we roll in with, you know, 40,000 of our closest friends every day. So that sounds great for us. But if you're a, if you live in Brookline, you might say, please, not real soon. Um, so, yeah, will we bring USJ championships there? Uh, without a doubt. They're, a, you know, they're, they're a partner in growing the game, and I'm quite certain they'll continue to be a partner in growing the game. One of the things I, I'm really uh, a strong believer in is if you host U.S. Opens um, and you want to do more, then you really need to be a partner in growing the game, not just taking the largest championship in the game. So I want to see women's events there. I want to see amateur events there, hopefully long-term. I'm not looking for somebody to host the U.S. Open. I'm looking for somebody who's going to be a partner with the USGA in growing the game. So that's where I think, you know, when you, when you look at what we've done with Pebble and Oakland Hills and Oakmont and Marion um, and Pinehurst, of course, when you look at the list of championships, obviously they're hosting an incredible list of, of U.S. Opens, but they're hosting women's Opens, they're hosting women's amateurs, they're hosting team competitions. Those are partners in the game, not just a one-off host. I think the country club could be a partner in the game, but that'll be up to uh, both sides to determine after we kind of after we kind of dust off from an incredible 2022. Yeah, it's still just everyone's still so excited about about what we just saw. So it's it's hard not to think too far in the future. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump on the podcast again with us. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the USGA Green Section podcast. Be sure to subscribe, listen, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also keep up with the latest content on Twitter and by subscribing to the Green Section Record, our digital publication that's published twice a month.